0: Great to be back home with all of my Biltmore people today. My wife, Shari, is sitting over there with James and Michelle Myers. My wife and I have been here many, many times as we drove up the mountain this morning into the beautiful mountains of Western North Carolina. I was celebrating 22-degree weather. I was also imagining in my head, and I just want you all to know, I'm I'm the, the biggest extreme extrovert that's ever lived. So in my heart right now, I'm hugging all of you. I'm wrapping my arms around all of you and hugging you, and uh, I'm going to be preaching for about the next three and a half hours because I've got, don't egg me on, do not encourage me. We are in this amazing series uh, where you as a church are going through the Bible this year. This is the year of the Bible, and when Pastor Bruce called me several weeks ago and asked if I could come today, I rearranged some things to be here. That's how much I love Pastor Bruce. That's how much I love you. Uh, This is my home away from home, and I just want to pause for a minute and tell you, to see how Pastor Bruce has led uh, Biltmore Church through this season of unknown and through this season of pandemic has just been remarkable. I'm so thankful that we're together right now. We need to be gathered together. This is good. This is really, really good. I get the honor today of preaching the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Uh, I went ahead today and titled the message something that I hope will be catchy and memorable for you God's Top Ten. This is God's Top Ten. Now, when I think about top 10 list, I immediately remember my one of my favorite TV shows from the 1900s. Anybody remember the 1900s? It was 21 years ago, and I used to stay up late at night and watch David Letterman. Anybody remember David Letterman? And so David Letterman would always have a, a nightly top 10 and he would list off top 10 things, and they were silly, and they were funny, and I started thinking about some of my favorite top 10s, because today we're going to get to see God's top 10s. We call them the Ten Commandments. So I was thinking about my favorite top 10 movies. I'm not going to give you the whole list, but in that list, Star Wars, the original, is in that list. Uh, It's just hard to improve on that. Also, remember the Titans, is in that list. Denzel Washington plays a great high school football coach. I love that movie. Agile, hostile, senile, fragile. I can't remember what all he said. But um, the best movie of all time, in my opinion, number one on my top 10 list, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Some of y'all are not clapping and I'm praying for God to reveal his wisdom to you today while I'm preaching. Then I started thinking about my favorite TV shows of all time. I have a top 10 list. And again, I'm not going to go down the whole list, but some of y'all would say Friends is your top 10 list. I am proud to say I've never watched a full episode of Friends. Um, and some of y'all are like, that's so sad. And some of y'all are like, he's a man of God. Um, some of y'all are, are fans of The Office. Maybe that's in your top 10. Some of y'all, list Bill dance outdoors. Um, For me, my favorite TV show of all time. Now, I've got some other ones. 24 was a solid show. Jack Bauer saved the the world 18 different ways. I love that show. But when it all is said and done, I think the most perfect television ever made was a show called Sanford and Son. Now y'all are warming up. Now the spirit's beginning to move. If you have never watched it, go to YouTube or just Google it just to hear Fred Sanford look at Lamont and say, Lamont, you big dummy. That's, okay, just trust me when I tell you that. Then I think about last category, my Ten favorite foods, my top ten list. I have several spiritual gifts, evangelism, preaching, and eating. Those are my three top spiritual gifts. And when I think about my top ten favorite foods, there would be a lot of things on there. Steak would be on there. There's nothing better than a 10-ounce filet cooked medium or a tomahawk. Sirloin, uh, tomahawk ribeye, one of my favorites. I, I love anything that's barbecued: barbecue pork, barbecue beef, barbecue chicken, barbecue turkey, barbecue squid, barbecue blackbird. I don't care if it's barbecued; I love it. But the top of my top ten list of food. Now, some of y'all aren't going to understand this, but I am in Western North Carolina, so I know there are some country people who are going to relate to what I'm about to say. If I could only eat one more meal, I would have a tomato sandwich. Plain white bread, Duke's mayonnaise on both pieces of bread, a tomato sliced about that thick, salt and pepper. The tomato has to be so thick that when you bite into it, the juice runs down your arm and drips off your elbow. And the best part is getting that white bread stuck on the roof of your mouth behind your front teeth. Somebody gonna get saved today at Biltmore Church. I like a good top 10 list. I really do. God was up to something in the story of the scriptures. And last week, Pastor Bruce preached on the Passover, We've already looked at how God delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt 400 plus years they had lived there, generation after generation after generation, and now we get to the point to where the people of Israel have left Egypt. They are walking for 40 years, wandering in a desert. They have been in a pagan culture, worshiping multiple gods while trying to stay faithful to their God, and now God is trying to establish a nation. God is trying to establish a people. God is trying to give them some rules, some laws by which they can govern themselves. Because God's ultimate goal, listen, is not just to give them 10 commandments. The Ten Commandments are not the ultimate thing. They point to the ultimate thing. The Ten Commandments are God's way of trying to protect them, of trying to help them get along, of trying to keep this nation faithful to God because his ultimate agenda is to send a Messiah, a Savior, a King through this nation. This nation will be an example to and a light to all of the pagan nations, to all of the pagan tribes that worship other gods, that practice sinful activities like, for instance, sacrificing their children to the fire god Molech. God is saying to the nation of Israel when he brings him out of Egypt, I'm gonna make you a people and from you, the Messiah will come and you'll be a light to the nations to show them who I am, what I'm like and what I value. That's why the 10 commandments were given to Moses and then those commandments were given to the people. This is God establishing a nation and in the 10 commandments we see a combination of civil law, we see ceremonial law which was specific to the to the Jews and we see moral law. And we see all of these unveiled in God's top 10 and instead of going through all of them one at a time, I went to the trouble of putting all of them on the screen so we can look at them together and I'm just going to briefly do a survey of God's top 10. These are his 10 commandments. Number one, do not put other gods before me. This was important because they had lived in a culture in Egypt where there were so many other gods and the temptation was to always put another god before Yahweh God. They're going into this land, ancient Palestine, where there are people, not people, the Canaanites, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the bites, the Megabites. There's all these other people groups and they all worship other gods. So God wants to establish, you should not, you cannot, do not put other gods before me. Number two, do not make or worship any other images. And in this time in human history, People that worship gods would create idols, and then they would worship those idols, bow down to those idols, pay homage to those idols. And I know that a lot of us now in 21st century America, especially as evangelical Christians, go, how dumb, how stupid, how, how crazy is it that they would worship an idol made out of stone or an idol made out of wood? But we also, even if we don't realize it, we, we worship idols too. We worship idols made out of paper, and they've usually got pictures of presidents on them. We worship idols made out of plastic, and they've got a a barcode or a magnetic strip on the back, and we swipe that. We worship gods that we live in, gods that we drive. We worship gods that we pay to go see play on a Saturday or on a Tuesday night. We worship our favorite team. We worship our favorite uh, whatever. So we are also idolatrous just like them. That's why God gave them this law, Uh, the third one, the third commandment. Don't misuse the Lord's name. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And a lot of us grew up thinking that that just means don't curse, don't swear. Specifically, there are certain phrases that you better not say. I can remember um, one of my football coaches saying one of these phrases one time during practice. And one of the guys on our team whose dad was a pastor said, Look out, coach, you're in danger of hellfire if you say that. Now, I'm not an advocate of cursing or swearing, but this is not exactly what this means. It's more than that. Misusing the name of the Lord or taking God's name in vain meant to use it in a meaningless way. To throw his name out there and not really understand how powerful his name was. To take an oath using the name of God and then not keep that oath. To use the name of God for your own personal gain with no real heart for God in the first place. Number four, uh, here's another one of God's commandments. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't dishonor the Sabbath day. Well, Sabbath simply in, in Hebrew is Shabbat. It means to rest. And this is a reflection of God's creation. When God created the world, he labored for six days. And on the seventh day, what did God do? Starts with R, ends with Ested. He rested, good job. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Was it it because he was tired? Was God exhausted? No, God rested not because he was tired, but because he was done. God rested not because he was exhausted, but because he was finished. When God made the earth, he said everything was good. And when he made Adam and Eve, the pinnacle of his creation, the image bearers of God, he said it was Very good. So on the seventh day, he told them, rest and don't work. This should have been a welcome commandment for them because they had spent 400 plus years in Egypt working seven days a week, 365 days a year as slaves to Pharaoh. The next one, honor your parents. In other words, don't dishonor your parents. Obey them. This commandment is followed by promises. If you keep this commandment, the 10 commandments say, Your days will be long upon the earth. You will live in blessing. Then the next one. Don't murder people. Thou shalt not kill. Don't murder people. Are you beginning to see how these commandments really are the basis for civilization? These commandments, these laws are the things that keep people restrained from devolving into chaos, from devolving into anarchy. And this is a good law. Don't murder people. The next one, don't commit adultery. I want to pause here for a moment. Don't commit adultery is very straightforward. Don't sleep with, don't have sex with, don't flirt with, don't fall in love with, don't have an emotional affair with, don't get emotionally connected with somebody that's married to somebody else. And I don't think I have to do a big apologetic on why this is a good command. All I have to do is ask you, do you know anybody that's ever broken this commandment and how did that turn out? It always creates problems, hurt, shame, regret. Children are affected. Families are affected. That's a good commandment. The next one, don't steal Don't take it if it's not yours. If it doesn't belong to you, don't touch it. Just imagine if this wasn't a commandment or imagine what it would be like if this commandment was not followed. I have some friends that live in some other cities and some other states. And just this week, a friend of mine was telling me how the crime rate in their city has gone through the roof since the pandemic began. Nobody wants to live in any kind of society or culture where you can steal and get away with it. The next one, number nine, don't lie about people. In the Bible it is don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't tell lies. And it's more than just don't tell lies, don't believe lies about people. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Trust the good thing before you assume the bad thing. Assume the best, not the worst. Believe the best about somebody. And even if it would benefit you in the short run to lie about somebody, to make them look negative so that you can look more positive, nobody wins in the end in a culture or a society where people can lie and get away with it. And finally, number 10, don't covet or desire other people's stuff. I I do believe that God saw social media in the future. I do believe that God knew eventually we'd all be on Facebook and Instagram and, and TikTok. And if you're over the age of 25 and you don't know what TikTok is, praise God you don't know what TikTok is. My, my kids sometimes will show me the silly videos that people post on TikTok, and then I thank God I'm 48 and half blind. Uh, I think that God knew that in the human heart, here's what we do. We see the blessings that other people enjoy, and we start to go, huh, I, I wish I had that. Um, I wish I could do that. I wish I could live there. Um, Why do their kids get the scholarship and my kids don't? My kids are so much better than them. I mean, they've got my DNA. It's just so hard for us sometimes to not look at other people's stuff and covet their stuff. And and look, cards on the table, I'm on Instagram. I don't live on it, but I'm on it. But it's easy for me to just scroll through and start to covet other people's stuff. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you're a golfer, I have no problem coveting you because golf makes no sense to me. I do not get it. I don't understand why you would spend so much money. I don't understand why why you would hit that little ball into that hole so, so far away. I know Tiger Woods is awesome, but that's about all I know. I don't have a problem coveting your golf clubs. I have a problem coveting your F-350. I have a problem, you know, coveting that, that, that beautiful that beautiful steak, that, that guy, because it's the only thing you can cook, post on his Instagram account. I don't know what it is that you struggle with coveting. We all have it. You know, maybe you're looking on Pinterest and going, ooh, I love that rug. Oh, I love that off. Ooh, I love that bathroom. And, you know, and, and your husband sees you scrolling Pinterest and he goes to take a nerve pill because he just knows. We all do it, male, female, young or old. These commandments were given by God to God's people For a purpose, God is trying to establish civil life. And he's telling them, these 10 are not the only 10, but these are my top 10. And all the other laws, all the other rules, all the other regulations will flow from these. And whether you're atheist or agnostic or Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Democrat, Republican, or Bernie Sanders. Can I say this to you? This democratic republic called American democracy was built on these. These. I'm all about the Ten Commandments, but I also wanna say this. If you're gonna make a big deal about putting the Ten Commandments in a public place or in your yard, we should also make a big deal about living the Ten Commandments in our private personal lives. Our walk needs to match our talk. Okay, I'm done offending people. I'll move on now. These are not bad. These are good. But I want to make you aware that when we look at these commandments, they're not the ultimate thing. They point us to the ultimate thing. Let me try to get to God's heart behind the top ten. Here's what I believe. When God says don't, he is saying don't hurt yourselves or others. These commandments do have a don't kind of feel to them, don't they? Don't covet. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And when we see don't, when you hear don't, what do you think? I mean, look, my, I married a rule keeper. My wife is right over here, and she's a rule follower. I can't relate to that. I'm a rule breaker. I do think they apply to me, but I think I can break them and then sweet talk my way out of it. And the Holy Spirit has had to break that part of me in my life. So when I, I'm just telling you, when somebody tells me don't do something from the time I can have memories as a child until like right here, right now, if you tell me don't touch that, i got to know why not. Why can I not touch that? What's so awesome about that that you want to keep it for yourself and not let me touch it? How does it make you feel when you touch it? What does it make you think about when you touch it? Does it turn to gold when you touch it? Do you get rich when you touch it? Do you lose 20 pounds when you touch it? Do do you get more sugar at home from your wife when you touch it? I want to touch it. I want to touch it. That is how human nature works. So when God says don't, we always want to know why not. And I want to help you understand. There's a reason behind these commandments. There's a reason behind God's laws. God doesn't want you to hurt yourself And God doesn't want you to hurt others. That's why, just as an example, adultery. Had a guy recently in my church tell me, I'm not happy with my wife. Our marriage is in trouble. And I know that God wants me to be happy. I'm happy with this other woman. And because God wants me to be happy, I know that God wants me to divorce my wife and be with her. Well, think about how that plays out. The way it played out was that when he divorced his wife, he not only divorced his wife, he left his children. His children were hurt. His extended family was hurt. Her family was hurt. Her children were hurt. And four or five years ago when all this went down, and I begged the God, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You're going to regret it. You're going to be hurt. And it's not just you that's going to get hurt. Other people are going to get hurt. He didn't believe me. But because we're all so stubborn and we're all so hard-headed, we just have a hard time believing that God has our best interest in his heart. And when he says don't, he's really saying, I know more than you. I'm smarter than you. I can see the future. I know where this is leading. So don't do this because you're going to hurt yourself. And I love you. And I don't want you to hurt yourself. I wrote this in my notes, and I hope you write this down. Please remember this. God's laws reflect God's love. God's laws reflect God's love. Parents who have rules and expectations of their kids show their kids they love them by establishing rules. Yesterday, we had a really fun day in the King family. We have an 18-year-old son named Jacob who's a preacher He's an evangelist. He preached three weeks ago in Mississippi and saw 175 people saved in one service. He's 18, senior in high school. We love Jacob. We have a 15-year-old named Jojo. He's a great athlete. He loves the Lord. He loves his mama. Uh, He can dunk a basketball. He's 6'2 at 15 years old. And yesterday, he got his first vehicle. We we got him a Jeep yesterday. We got him a hard-top Jeep. It's a 2004. It's got 166,000 miles on it. And he told us yesterday when he was test driving it, as it was was going up a hill, he said, it's losing power. I feel like it's going slower as it goes up a hill. I'm like, my plan is working perfectly. (laughs) Shari and I went with him yesterday, surprised him with, with the car, and we laid down some rules with him with the Jeep. Jeeps are fun, but like any other vehicle, they can be dangerous. So here are some rules. You always wear your seatbelt. You make your friends wear a seatbelt. You do not fiddle with the radio. You're not allowed to text if somebody calls you unless it's on Bluetooth and you've got it in the speakers. You cannot touch your phone. You cannot answer your phone. If I find out you've been texting or, or calling people or being distracted, I'll take your phone, I'll take your keys. Am I a mean dad? Is Shari a a, a mean mom because she tells him, you can't do what you want to do? No. We're good parents. We're stinking great parents. We love our kids and we don't want to go see them in the hospital. So we establish rules. Why? Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt others. That's God's heart behind God's commandments. And when it comes to the Ten Commandments, God knew that he was establishing a nation, a people for, himself, for his own glory and for his own self, and that God's agenda was to eventually bring a Messiah out of that people and that that Messiah would save the world. And so it's easy for us to think, well, the rules, they make me sad. They, the rules mean I can't have any fun. I mean, I don't, nobody wants to live a life without any fun. That's what we think. We think that God's laws are bad for us, but Actually, the opposite is true. The law leads to freedom, not restriction. The law leads to freedom, not restriction. If we didn't have any laws in America, would we be free or would we be restricted? I'll tell you, we'd be restricted. If there were no laws, just, just, just think about Arden right now or the greater Asheville area. If there were no laws, nobody would be free. We would all be restricted. In our homes, with the doors bolted shut, trying to defend ourselves. That's where we would be. I remember, um, I'm a big NBA fan. Speaking of top 10, Michael Jordan number two, LeBron James number one. Just want to go on record and say that right now. I know somebody's going to throw a tomato at me. But I like to watch a lot of NBA. And one of my favorite characters, because that's what he is, is Charles Barkley. And they were talking about, they were asking Charles Barkley one time about, you know, when, when everything was going on this summer and America was beginning to really have a very important conversation about racism, they asked Charles Barkley if he supported defunding the police. And Charles Barkley, in his classic, hilarious, plain-spoken plain spoken way, he goes, defund the police. Man, you're crazy. Defund the police? Somebody comes to your house to rob you? Who you gonna call, Ghostbusters? and i thought that was a really hilarious take on the fact that we know intuitively that we have to protect what we value and that the way we can all get along and live in freedom instead of restriction is to have a basic agreement upon what we value god values human life god values the flourishing of people god also values saving us from our sin and his big huge beautiful mysterious plan plays out ultimately in the sacrifice of jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the way God chose to bring Je- to bring Jesus into the world he chose to do it through a people and those people were called the Jews the Hebrews the nation of Israel and God knew that for Jesus to come out of that line of people and for that nation to be a light to the gentiles to the pagan cultures who worshipped other gods to know who God really was that there had to be some rules and some laws so that everybody could live in freedom not restriction C.S. Lewis used an example in one of his books, The Great Christian Thinker. He, He painted a picture. He said, imagine a group of children playing games, and they're playing on top of a beautiful mountain, and they're on the precipice, 360 degrees, the most beautiful views you've ever seen. And those children are kicking a ball around, they're throwing balls to each other, and they're having a good time. And, and, but, but on every side of that precipice of a mountain, if the ball goes over the edge of the cliff and they chase it to the edge of the cliff, they will fall to their death over the edge of the cliff, 360 degrees. He said, are those children more free to play on top of that mountain with or without a fence that keeps them safe? They're not safe if they play without any restriction." They're safer and they enjoy more freedom when a loving mom or a loving dad says, I'm going to protect you for your own good. That's why the law of God brings freedom, not restriction. Let me fast forward now to some scripture where the Apostle Paul teaches us in his letter to the church in Galatia. What the law actually did for us. Because the law is pointing us to something greater. It's pointing us to the gospel of God's grace. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Galatians 3.19. He starts off, at least for this passage, by asking a question. Why then was the law given at all? This is a really simple question. And then he goes on to answer. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Now I want to pause for a moment and make sure that we all understand that seed is Jesus, the seed of a woman. All the way back to Genesis 3:15 after the fall, the first messianic prophecy was spoken. "The serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. The serpent would bruise the heel, the heel of who? The seed of the woman." But that same heel that the serpent would strike and bruise would be the heel that would raise up on the cross and then crush the head of the serpent at the resurrection. And so Jesus is the promise. The law was given through the angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. I want to pause right there. Who is this mediator? It's Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, fully divine, fully human, fully able to take our sin away, fully able to keep the law we couldn't keep, and yet fully human, able to be tempted like we are, know all of our emotions, understand what it's like to be depressed, understand what it's like to be alone, understand what it's like to have your friends stab you in the back, kiss you on the cheek, betray you to killers, Jesus was fully God, fully man, the mediator who bridged the gap that sin created between the human race and God. And that mediator is now the bridge between God, who we cannot reach on our own, and our broken world that desperately needs the good news of God's grace. And then it goes on in verse 21, Paul says, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Here's what Paul is saying. The law has a purpose, but the law is not enough. The law has a purpose, but it's not sufficient. You cannot win God's love by being perfect, because you can't be perfect. You cannot win God's favor by keeping the law. You've messed up, you've broken the law, welcome to the human race. We're all batting a thousand. Every single one of us. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about because you're married to a really good sinner. And they're married to a really good sinner too. And if you're single, you're a really good sinner. If you're a kid, you're great at sinning. If you're black, white, Latino, Asian, Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. We're all really good at sinning and the law cannot bring righteousness to us. That's Paul's entire point. And then in verse 22, Paul says, but scripture has locked up everything Under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. We do not receive life by keeping the commandments, we receive life by believing in Jesus, by receiving His grace. God is not keeping score. God is not grading you according to how many you get right and how many you get wrong. What the law does is it makes us aware of our inability to save ourselves. Now, verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. We were locked up. Sin had us locked down, and the law had us locked up. Now, he's writing specifically to Jewish believers, but he's writing collectively to everybody at Biltmore right now at the Arden campus. He's telling every single one of us, the law has a purpose. The law is going to show you that you don't measure up, but faith is going to reveal to you a promise to come. So the law was our guardian until, here's the good news, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. I don't know if you've ever tried to be perfect, but it's terrible. Uh It's the worst thing in the world. I can't even drive the speed limit and I've got cruise control on my truck. I'm telling you, I just sometimes, sometimes I'm reading the Bible early in the morning in my office. It's dark outside. I got a cup of black coffee and I'm reading and I just read in the New Testament. I read Paul's letters. I read about grace. I read about the gospel. I read, and I just have to stop sometimes and say, Thank you, Jesus, that you did for me what I could not do for myself. It wears you out trying to keep the rules. Jesus kept every one of them. And that's what we do. We believe it by faith. And when we believe that, by faith, we're justified. Does that mean I don't have to keep the rules anymore? Uh eh Something way better than that. That means there's a power in me now that can live by faith, and I don't have to try to do it in my flesh. One more verse, verse 25. Now that this faith has come... We are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer locked up. The prison doors have been opened up. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. And all you have to do, this is literally, guys, this is the best deal. This is better than anything Black Friday has ever offered to the human race. You get Jesus, you get forgiveness, you get grace, you get a new family, you get a brand new perspective on life, your eyes are open, your ears can hear, you get joy and peace and patience and long-suffering, you get all of that by faith. No longer under a guardian, no longer. Sin does not control you, sin does not boss you around. You're not constantly looking over your shoulder to see if God's mad at you. You're not constantly worrying that you might not get into heaven because you know the sinful thought you had. You know that lustful website you clicked on. You know that you swiped right when you should have just closed it out. You know what I'm talking about? You know all the sins that you've committed, so do I. And you know what I get to do now? When I do sin, I have an advocate. I have a mediator. Jesus goes to the Father and says, He's mine. I bought for him. I bought him with my blood. He belongs to me. No more condemnation. Satan whisper in your ear and say, you have broken the law. And you know what you get to do now if you have Jesus? You are right. I sure did. But I don't have to keep it. Jesus did. You tried to kill him. You played right into his hands. What a sucker you are. I belong to Jesus. Take your hands off of me. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. There is no condemnation now. Therefore, anybody who is in Christ Jesus. I could go on and on and on, but I will not. I have one more verse. So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. So what does the law do? The Ten Commandments are the beginning where God all throughout the Old Testament will point his people to a coming reality that by faith one day they can be God's people, saved, forgiven of sin, born again, brand new life, and now by faith we can receive this. So as I close, I want to show you some truth from what we've read today in regards to the Ten Commandments. The law points to our deficiency and Christ's sufficiency. Do not be discouraged when you become aware of your deficiency. Do the opposite. Be encouraged that Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is enough. Jesus did what we couldn't do. That's what the law does. It's a schoolmaster, it's a guardian, it, it weighs us down and when we come to the end of ourselves we, we look to Christ. The other good news is where we fall Jesus fulfills. Where we fail Jesus is faithful. You're going to fall you're going to fall over and over again. You know what? I'm going to predict this about you because I know it's true about me. You're not just going to fall and fail. You're going to fall in the same area over and over and over again. We've all got insecurities. We all have bad habits. We, we all were raised a certain way. Maybe yours is insecurity. Maybe yours is a lack of forgiveness. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's anger. I confess to you, I have a problem with anger. It's my default emotion. When I don't get what I want, I get mad. When I see other people getting things I think they don't deserve, I get mad. I fall all the time and I just realize, Jesus, you fulfilled everything that I can't fulfill. I fail, but Jesus, you're faithful. This is good news. There's one more truth I wanna show you. The law restrains us from the outside in. I don't want to obey all the traffic laws, but the law restrains me. I know that I need to, for the, not just for my own good, but for the good of everybody else. That's an outside-in approach. And that's not bad. It's just not good enough to really change a person. It can control our behavior, but it can't change our heart. Do you see what I'm saying? The law can control behavior. That's what it's meant to do. But only grace can change our heart. The law restrains us from the outside-in. The gospel remakes us from the inside out. It's good to be restrained from doing whatever you want that might hurt yourself and others. But it won't get you into heaven and it won't change your heart. The gospel doesn't restrain us. The gospel remakes us. And it doesn't do it from the outside in. By dressing up, by covering up your tattoos, by cutting your hair. No, no, it doesn't do it like that. The gospel remakes us from the inside out. We get a brand new heart. Our hearts were made of stone, but the gospel makes them soft, a heart of flesh. And that's how real change takes place because when you hear the gospel and you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you know, for Baptists, and I don't know how you were raised, but for Baptists, our Trinity oftentimes is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And I love the Bible But sometimes we forget the Holy Spirit. He is not a thing or an it. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And when you receive Jesus by faith, the Holy Spirit comes in and writes God's law on your heart. And the Spirit now works through you in ways that your flesh could only fall and fail. And it's a beautiful thing. It's called transformation. It's called discipleship. And Christians get to experience it when we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus fulfilled what the law could only point to. And we get to receive it by faith. So that's God's top 10. Now I'm wondering, for those of us in the room, how how we might need to respond. So can you just close your eyes and open your hearts with me to Jesus right now? Close your eyes, open your hearts. I'm gonna ask you to respond. Many of you needed to be encouraged today that you are not perfect and you don't have to be. Many of you needed to be convicted today that you've tried to impress God or do it on your own and you need to trust the Holy Spirit to do that for you because Jesus already did. And then others of you right now, maybe you're made aware of the fact that you need to actually invite Jesus to come into your life. You need to trust Christ, you need to be saved. Stop playing games, quit beating around the bush, quit wondering about it, quit hoping you go to heaven when you die, quit being afraid you're gonna go to hell if you do. You can nail it down right now. You can literally nail it down right now. Just like our eight-year-old sister that we baptized right before this service today who gave her life to Jesus back in November when I preached a message on marriage. The Holy Spirit is calling some of you today to make that same decision, to open your heart up to Christ and receive him by faith, not by keeping the law, not by works, but by faith, to trust that Jesus can save you. So if that's you and you wanna give your life to Christ, I'm gonna invite you right where you sit. You know it's you because the Spirit's moving you. Pray this to him in your heart quietly. You don't have to say it out loud, just say it in your heart. He's listening. Jesus, I need you. I can't do it without you. I can't keep the rules. So I surrender to you. I believe in you, Jesus. I trust you. I repent of my sin. I give you my life. Save me right now, Jesus. I'm all yours. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed. Don't look around. We're almost done, but I'm to do one thing. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, and I'm not going to make you come forward, but I'm going to ask you to do one simple thing. Nobody looking around. Eyes are still closed. But if you just prayed that prayer, young or old or anywhere in the middle, would you do one thing right here, right now? Nobody looking. I'm looking, but nobody else is. But God sees. If you just prayed that prayer to Jesus and you received his grace, would you raise your hand straight up above your head and just keep it up for just a second? I'm not gonna do anything to embarrass you. Keep it up. Keep them up all across the room. I wanna stir some faith in this room. Keep your hands up because I wanna count how many people just responded to the grace of God for salvation. Keep your hands up. I'm gonna do my best to count them quickly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, keep them up please, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, don't put them down, 26, 27, 28, okay, you can put your hands down, now open your eyes and look up at, uh, look up here at me, I can't even talk, just look at me. 28 people just invited Jesus and all of his righteousness and perfection into their hearts. This is why I do it. Shari and I talk all the time about the struggles in ministry and how hard it is sometimes. But to see 28 people in this room right now. Look, you may not believe it, but you better believe I believe what we just saw was a miracle. 28 of you just responded to the gospel to ask Jesus to come into your life and save you. Glory to God.